Welcome to Mind Movement. Welcome to our Saturday morning conversation. It's nice to see you, Molly. Yes, it's nice to be with you. You too. Um, so it's the end of week five for us here in New York City of our official stay-at-home mandate. And um, we've got at least another four of these ahead, approximately. So we're, we're in it to stay for a while. On Saturday, this is our morning conversation about grief and loss and what ultimately also amounts to trauma during this incredibly challenging, bizarre, surreal, you know, fill in the blanks, wherever uh, time. So with me for this morning conversation, um, my name is Samantha Beningo. I am the CEO and founder of a company called Mind Movement. I'm also a substance abuse counselor and mental health professional and yoga instructor. And for my Saturday morning conversation, joining me is Miss Molly Bates, who I will allow do her own introduction. <laughs> hey. Hi, I'm Molly Bates. I am the vice president and clinical director of Mind Movement. I am a trauma psychotherapist, experiential psychotherapist, a kundalini yoga teacher and yoga therapist. And yeah. Yeah. And all those things. It's great. And, <laughs> and so the perfect person really to talk to uh, about grief and loss and trauma. So it's been you know, a heavy week. And, and I don't know if you're, Molly, plugged into sort of the news cycle right now, but it is um, heavy. There's a lot of videos of, you know, medical professionals, doctors, um, nurses who are sort of streaming their own videos to show people, to try to get people to stay at home, especially in cities and towns where people are railing against the stay-at-home orders. Uh, to say, look, this is real. People are really dying. Our hospitals can no longer, can't, can't stand anymore. Um, we are at our maximum capacity. And it's, um, even though in New York, you know, there's signs that we're on the other side of our curve, so to speak, um, you know, 700 people approximately died yesterday in New York City from this. So the numbers just keep going up. And um, with, with no real signs of slowing down, this is just becoming a, um, you know, it's, this is going to have ramifications that will probably, you know, so far into the future in so many different ways. And so we're sort of dealing with the grief and the loss of this on so many levels. There's the level of really truly losing somebody that you care about. There's the level of the trauma that are certainly our, our um, front of the line workers are, are dealing with. Then, of course, there's all the sacrifice that everyone is making by not participating in their lives as per usual. And then there's all of the loss that small businesses and, um, you know, people are losing their jobs. Our economy is about to take an enormous hit. And so it's just a really... Uh, a really challenging time. And I wonder, you know, you and I both work with people individually um, as clinicians. And so I wonder what, what it is you're sort of seeing in your practice right now, what you're seeing your clients going through and how they're, how they're dealing with it. Yeah. 
so there's a couple of things that <clears throat> I've been noticing this week and talking with my clients who, you know, are all over the country. Um, most of them New Yorkers originally, mm -hmm. right? We were all here in New York City for the most part before the, or in the very beginning of March. And mm -hmm. a lot of people made decisions to leave. Yeah. Uh, to go to different parts of the country, maybe where they had more space, maybe where they felt safer, mm -hmm. right? Um, potentially with family members. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so one thing that I'm really noticing is this, this homesickness, this longing mm. for to return to New York City. Mm. <laughs> so I have clients of all ages that are really overcome with this desire to be in New York right now. Hmm. And so, and then feeling conflicted, right? And I think that actually is overall the theme is confusion that everyone is expressing to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Should I come back? Should I stay? Should I go back to work? Should I stay inside? Mm. Right? All of these mixed messages that we're getting from various levels of the government, federal, state, and then mm. from the medical community is causing <clears throat> this further uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Even less of a grounded, because when we were all being told, stay put, don't go anywhere, here's all the medical, you know, facts to sort of back that up. It was like, okay, I know what I need to do right now. Mm -hmm. And now this sort and of, now this sort of unfolding, unfolding of renegade, renegade and rogue states, states and these uh, mm -hmm. protesters, and mm -hmm. it's causing this real this existential question am i doing the right thing am mm -hmm. i in the right place mm -hmm. uh i know that's a lot yeah well i think you bring up though uh, uh, the existential part so there's a lot of ways that can go uh, you know i i see clients who you know are sitting at home and just wallowing in the news cycle and just, you know, people are dying. Oh my God. You know, like just this feeling of kind of powerlessness and all in a way, just like the ultimate victim, the victimization of this, this pandemic and all of the different sort of tentacles of it. And then feeling like consumed with sad and fear and grief. And, um, but then also powerlessness because they're, they don't feel like there's like, like a way for them to contribute in a useful way or yes. don't feel. So it's just this sense of like wallowing in sadness <clears throat> for what's going on globally. So there's, I've seen definitely some of that. And then the other side, sort of what you're talking about, I think too, is like that guilt of, look, there's these, you know, there's, there's healthcare workers, there's fire, firefighters, there's people on the front lines that, you know, are, are in it. And I'm not doing anything to, to try to help. And, you know, I'm just, 
I'm just like you said, staying at home, which is helping actually, you know, quite a bit. I think that's yeah. probably what ultimately is our only shot at stopping this thing right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it is helping, but there's this feeling of I'm not doing enough. And mm-hmm. like you were sort of saying guilt almost that I'm just kind of hanging out at home. You know, it's almost like a staycation yeah. for me in some way. And so all this is going on out there and I'm just kind of life as usual but on like on Instagram all day or whatever it is, feeling a lot of, I think maybe guilt. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, right. This existential guilt. And I think that that is arising right out of this sort of comparison Mm -hmm. that's happening, right? This very naturally, I have one client who shared with me, a email that came from her hospital's psychiatrist uh, to address this um, feeling that many of this particular hospital's um, employees or staff were feeling because they were not as hard hit Uh as some of the other hospitals. Yeah. So this sense that many people, whether you're on the front line and kind of you volunteered and there's a ton of bureaucratic like steps Mm -hmm. between actually volunteering and getting in the door. Mm -hmm. And so this sense that, you know, I didn't do it soon enough. I didn't get there fast enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you, you know, you're staying at home and just trying to, get through the day and do your work, right? This notion that I'm not doing enough, my contribution isn't mm-hmm. enough. And mm-hmm. the, the guilt mm-hmm. right, that I could be doing more, but that comes from this confusion or a uh, comparison, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Which we talk a lot about at Mind Movement mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. being... A setup, really. Mm-hmm. Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought it was interesting, too, just in terms of the suggestion that this particular doctor made around how, what the antidote for that feeling is. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's actually reminded me a lot of our conversations we've been having in our yoga round table on Thursdays about so what's the opposite of that Hmm. like so the suggestion that we have to have Mm self-love self-compassion and self-forgiveness right (laughs) (laughs) small no problem no, but those are also existential solutions. <laughs> right. But well, but they are, but they're not. I mean, those are the those are the sure. solutions to everything. I mean, that's the challenge. Right. The challenge yeah. is that like, you know, a lot of times in the work that we do, especially in the beginning, like when we're first meeting someone who's first coming to us to change, they start listening to what we're saying and then they say things like, well, you know, but there are people suffering in, in some part of the world somewhere. And, you know, what about that? And, and you're like, yeah, but 
you can't put your, you don't know what someone else's suffering is. Your suffering is the one I'm concerned with right now. So we definitely, like you're saying, we compare our suffering to others. And then we say, oh no, people are, are having a much harder time than I am. And I feel Great. guilty for, for even feeling bad. And, yes. you know, we do that to such, to, to our great detriment all the time. And again, it is, it's this same thing that, you know, um, like I was saying on a couple of different round tables that, you know, I heard that medical professional that's an advisor to the president saying, yeah, we would never stay home if it was just our health that we were considering. But because we're being sort of sent the message that we're going to infect somebody else potentially and not know we're doing that, that's what ultimately grounded everybody. And I just keep coming back to that because that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this idea that mm -hmm. we're not where our lives are not worth much, but if I, I, God forbid, I get somebody else sick, what that says about, you know, us as a culture and just how we view our self-worth, I think is utterly tragic because it's not from a purely survival of the species kind of thing. You know, that's not necessarily an evolutionary principle because, you know, Right. It, 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 I got to keep myself alive. And, and certainly your, your biology is aware of that, aware of that, mm -hmm. gets that concept. So mm -hmm. it's really an enculturated thing from where mm -hmm. I'm sitting, this idea that I'm not worth much, but other people are worth more. And I shouldn't even have feelings because yeah. other people have harder, harder time than I do. And of course, that too is dismissive, number one, of, of who we are and our mm -hmm. feelings, it feels just horrible to say even out loud. Like mm -hmm. even when you're saying something like that, you can feel that in your body. It feels bad because there's a part of you that feels so like invalidated, right? That, that feeling of like, I'm worthless, yeah. which is just a horrible place yeah. to be. Um, you know, yeah. I, that's, that's right. I think the, first thing that we need to try and do when we notice that happening is to stop it and say, I'm not going to minimize my loss in this, my pain in this, my suffering in this, because mm -hmm. suffering is suffering. The body feels it the same way. I mm -hmm. feel my suffering mm -hmm. the same. It feels the same in the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as suffering feels in your body mm -hmm. as loss feels in your body mm -hmm. yeah so um, well and molly though there's also an invalid premise in there which is that you know i know what your suffering feels like just because your situation is worse from my standpoint doesn't mean that your suffering is even as bad right i mean people don't That's understand too, right. that right they don't understand that mm -hmm. just because you're you look at somebody else's situation and say oh look how bad it is but from their vantage point it may yeah. or not this may be their thing this may be their calling this may be what they right. have the resources for even That's though right. you don't so yeah. when we do that it's also really dismissive of other human yes. beings because we don't know what anybody else's experience is and typically yeah. when you ask that other person who you're pointing at and saying, oh, their mm -hmm. suffering is so bad, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to tell you something very different than you might think. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent example. I, I've been talking to a few people this week who <clears throat> this notion 
you may relate to this. I know I do because as a therapist, as a a social worker, as a caregiver, as Mm -hmm. you know, there's sometimes when you meet people or you tell them what you do, there's this assumption that, you know, you're a saint, you're an angel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. How can you do that? You know, how can you be a trauma therapist? You must be, you know, and so people make assumptions and, and I've heard that coming up with some of the front line workers, right? This sort of glorification or idealization or mar- like that they are mm. martyrs, right? And that they are, you know, putting mm. themselves out there to, you know, really put their lives at risk, right? Mm-hmm. And I've heard this same feeling coming up that it's been really hard for people to identify. Well, don't, don't put that on me. Mm. Right. That's just one piece or one part of who I am. And this, you know, this, I do this for many reasons. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's an excellent way to frame that. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't Mm -hmm. know, you don't know how another person is interpreting or experiencing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, their experience. Mm -hmm. And and, yeah. And you you know, we talk about trauma and there's a misunderstanding often about what that means. So if I don't have the resources, let's say that I have experienced a lot of trauma, you're, you could be going through, you know, frontline war and could handle it in a much better situation in a much better way internally than, than I might handle the normal day-to-day of life. Yeah. because of my formative experiences. So it's very difficult to compare equally emotions and suffering and everybody has earned it. You know, like there's no way to get through life without suffering. It's, it's part of the deal, right? The Buddhists say life is samsara, life is suffering. That's their starting point. That's like Buddhism 101, day one, first sentence, life is suffering, <laughs> you know? Like, so <clears throat> this is, it's, it's, it's what being human is also, it's a part of the deal. It's, mm-hmm. it's the contrast. It's <clears throat> what mm-hmm. helps us to clarify right away what it is that ultimately we do want. Because I know what I don't want. I now know what I do want. I want something better, different, and improvement. <clears throat> it's very difficult to, right? That, that's ultimately how we decide how to move forward in our lives. We, we almost always know what we don't want before we have any idea what we do want. Mm-hmm. And so to try to compare our suffering is, is so dismissive and unfair to, mm-hmm. to us, to each of us. And it does, it speaks more to, I think, a global um, lack of self-worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, certainly in this country, we've been just, taught that our self-worth comes from material stuff, from how we look, from how many friends we have, or how much money we have in the bank, how, what kind of job title, all of these really arbitrary, you know, things that really are, do not give us a sense of self-worth, obviously. Uh, so we're just walking around with this like utter sense of worthlessness. And then we look for lots of evidence of yeah. that. And of course we find lots of evidence of that. And sure. Right. And so it's tragic to me that Mm -hmm. this is to me, I think, highlighting that in a huge way um, Mm -hmm. because of what we're seeing, because of all of this. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I, so <clears throat> I've been trying to draw it back to this um, notion that, that you actually brought up, this idea that when I can couch or, or put myself in the equation, right? What is my responsibility? Mm-hmm. What is, you know, how mm-hmm. can I be accountable, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> this also very biological, very evolutionary um, aspect that I have a responsibility to others, to the community, right? Mm-hmm. And so challenge i've been i've been challenging people to kind of move into that to stand in that right mm-hmm. so because because we're getting so many different messages from so many different people right mm-hmm. now because you know many of us are at home and not feeling um, like we have the same kinds of structures or levels of a, accountability environmental accountability that we're very much used to right Mm -hmm. like like a boss sitting in the corner kind of looking over me Mm -hmm. or uh timetables like i i can kind of sleep in a little bit more Mm -hmm. there's more there's some flexibility so or this idea that maybe i can go outside maybe that's maybe that is what's best for the economies right so challenging people to kind of take more accountability for self more responsibility for self putting that back on us and then Mm -hmm. You know, that, that I think is a really you know, beautiful um, way to move through all of this confusion mm-hmm. and way to move through this sort of um, deep sense of, you know, what is my worth? What is my role? How do I place myself, right? How do I place my suffering in all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, and in order to kind of find that, right, it's this question, this, this other piece that we talk a lot about is when I ask myself, you know, what, what can I do? Like, what feels right? What is, you know, for me, you know, what makes the most sense? Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, I've been kind of slacking a little bit on my schedule, um, my at-home, my work schedule, you know, have I been kind of Mm-hmm. taking some naps on the job or whatever you know mm. ways that sort of people are kind of feeling more diffuse <clears throat> yeah. within the day without some of these structures and kind of making a commitment to self mm-hmm. to bring bring back some structure bring back some uh, mm. checks or accountability throughout the day mm-hmm. or, when I ask myself, you know, what is really the best thing for, for me? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a huge element, Molly, of control in what you're, yes. so, right, there's this idea that on one hand, 
I'm in that existential crisis of I have no power. The world is falling apart. It's zombie apocalypse. Everything is horrible. Oh my God. I mean, I can imagine myself, you know, in 1998, just sitting in my bedroom, like, you know, mm -hmm. falling apart, watching all this, not to mention the way that the political piece is kind of, you know, is waving on top of all of this and the way that the, 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 you know, the, <laughs> the propaganda that's happening on top, the two sort of pieces, right? The way that the president is behaving and all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is something obscenely just unimaginable about it. And so if you're watching all of this and feeling that sense of powerlessness, it is absolutely critical to go back to what you're saying, which is where do I have power and authority? Oh, well, I have power and authority to check in with myself and say, you know what? I'm not, I don't like that I'm sleeping in and, and I feel guilty that I'm doing something wrong. I'm lying to my employer, even though I'm sure they're sleeping in too. But that feeling of, you know, that I'm doing something wrong, that's your app, a beautiful way to get back into a sense of alignment and to take what responsibility and what power you have to begin to not feel like a victim, to not feel so much powerlessness. Yeah. And to start to say, okay, because at the end of the day, it's funny, in the first month of this, we talked a lot about awareness, just being a, having a sense of where people are, having a sense of your inner dialogue, what you're saying, what, um, how to hear the signs of anxiety, right? how to know where you're at and all of this. But it feels like we're naturally now <laughs> moving into this conversation about alignment, which is really you know, identifying my truth and acting in accordance with that, you know, behaving, speaking, you know, really living in a space of who I am and allowing that to come forward without worrying so much about how it's going to be perceived by everybody around you. And so it's, it's just like this natural progression. That is the way to get power back in all yeah. of this is to be who you are, to follow your instincts. You might need more sleep too, because you're more maxed out or, you know, one of the big signs of anxiety or fear and uh, chronic fear is exhaustion, is being tired. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to sleep more. Maybe that's the natural component here. Maybe that's the way your body is trying to offset some of this additional fear. You know, so being like you're saying, kind to yourself, but then also honoring yourself, which really does, there is a responsibility in that. And honor ourselves yes. means listening and acting in accordance with what we hear. When we don't do that, then we start to really feel victimized because we're we're not listening to our instincts or our inner dialogue. And by blowing that off, now we're really in violation of who we are. Now we start really panicking. I mean, then that's where you're going to start to see, you know, the wheels come off the bus in many ways, maybe not realizing that that's a part of it, but that's where, you know, wheels come off the bus in a big way. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> when we split further and further right from who we know we are right yeah. what makes us feel good our core self is another way to think about that mm -hmm. that dissonance becomes more and more difficult to tolerate the mm -hmm. shame and the guilt increases infinitely mm. until you we start doing harm really harmful things to ourselves 
in order to, you know, not feel that feeling because it will become intolerable. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's really when, and this is also something I think, you know, we plan to talk about quite a bit um, yep. because what happens when you feel that way? Well, you start trying to check out and checking out, right, with more drugs, more alcohol, more sugar, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, Boy. avoiding, avoiding, avoiding people, mm -hmm. avoiding, you know, all of the Zoom communities that I've spent the last few weeks, you know, like cultivating and reaching mm -hmm. out in this sort of desperate mm -hmm. way. And, you know, also noticing that, yeah, I'm more connected than ever. But when we can't walk, right, in our knowingness, right, what we know is right for us, mm -hmm. it, we, can't, we can't sit in that, our body cannot tolerate. And so mm -hmm. that's when these really scary things start to, <laughs> Yeah. habits behaviors um maybe they're impulsive. old impulsive. impulsive yeah i can't tolerate it anymore yeah and i can't so right so it becomes a the feeling is i can't control let me get out let me just do like let me just grab something to feel okay and there's a like a frenetic compulsive but compulsive component to that and that's what addiction looks like. It, it, it's sort of like, that's the hallmark. <gasps> run, <laughs> you know, grab, run and grab. Don't think, don't stop, don't just go. Uh, and that can, like you're saying, take many faces. But once you start that cycle of reaching for relief, those things can be a much more effective, uh, instant, instantly gratifying way to get relief. And that's where we get into sort of like big trouble very quickly, especially yeah. if we've got nowhere to go we're stuck at home. Many people are by themselves or maybe with a partner. That can get ugly really fast. It can get ugly, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've talked a lot about addiction in this. You know, I'm going to kick our podcast off on Thursday with a workshop about addiction. And then we're going to start a new conversation, roundtable discussion on the following Monday. So next Monday, not this one, the one after, about addiction. Because I think... It is a really important conversation right now. This is, you know, when you look at like how the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, <clears throat> it started because of the Great Depression. What happened was you had World War, the veterans coming back from the war at the same time as you had Prohibition and the Depression hit. And then you had the fallout of that, which looked like a lot of people drinking out of brown bags on the street and people feeling completely out of control and turning to alcohol and making bathtub gin, which was very potent. <clears throat> so you had this culminating of factors that people got really desperate, didn't know what to do, and ultimately Alcoholics Anonymous formed as a result of that. But that's scary because that is what people do when they're depressed, when their businesses that they've put their heart and soul into have just been taken away suddenly, when they, they're scared, when they're financially really threatened, when their you know sense of control is threatened, all of those things. So addiction is an important conversation to start mm -hmm. to tackle in all of this because it's a natural way to feel better. Yeah. And, you know, just bringing it kind of back to our conversation, what we were saying in the beginning here is that that's part of why it's so important to validate the feelings that you oh, yeah. are having. <laughs> right? Like, 
and not not to minimize and not to compare right mm. whatever it is that you're feeling even even if i you know i see sam that you know your loss right that you shared with us mm-hmm. um last week and i might not have that same loss right and so i'm i i don't know how you're feeling you've shared a little bit with me but all you know i can do is is offer you love offer you support offer Mm -hmm. you my you know healing vibes energy you know Mm -hmm. think think about putting you (laughs) in a healing light right like that's it you know and i think that that's sometimes we have this fear that if I haven't felt what you've felt in the way that you felt it, then I don't, I don't know how to say anything. I don't know how to relate. I don't know what to offer. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think it's important for us to all kind of know that it's, we don't have to have the right words. We don't have to have the right, you know, the the experience that applies. it's it's enough to just offer support, offer compassion to just to care, just to let you know how much I care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And like you're saying, to just say what feels like the right thing for you to say at that moment. I think <laughs> we we try to you know the the problem. You're, it's the same issue. The comparison tendency comes from that external focus we we have been fundamentally trained to to sit back and watch watch what everybody else is doing then decide how we want to act what we want to say how we want people to see us Mm -hmm. and so we wait we wait and try to make a determination based on the right thing to do at that moment and the problem is it's ignoring fundamentally our right thing our internal our real authentic self but if you do that for a long enough time you no longer can even hear your authentic self because you've trained yourself not to pay attention to it because it's sometimes inconvenient sometimes the authentic you is in conflict with with the other that other side that has determined what's the right thing to do at that moment and so they're in constant conflict. That, that dissonance, as you said, that difference between what I'm feeling on the inside and how I'm behaving on the outside creates mm-hmm. horrific challenges in our lives. And as we get older and older, those problems start to manifest as much more extreme. And that's you know another hallmark of things like addiction, mm-hmm. um, which is like the same thing, right? We're talking about the same thing. It's that dissonance, no matter where it comes from. But because we've been so trained not to hear, not to look here, but to look there, we often don't even know what our genuine response is. We, we don't even, we have yeah. fundamentally not allowed that for so long that we wait to try to find the right answer. And then of course, people feel like that's dishonest. So, so people's response yes. to that is, oh, something's, what's up with you? because it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like you're trying to manufacture something, the right answer. And so the best thing that anybody can do is just tell the truth, be honest. I don't know what to say right now, but I feel for you and I can only imagine that kind of thing. That's, that's 
cool. That's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's your truth. That's all you can give other people. And that's what we want from each other above all else. Right. Yeah. Authenticity. That's it. I mean, you know, it's really sad that, um, it's really sad that we've gotten so far away from that. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about this experience also as a corrective opportunity. Yeah. An opportunity, like I had said yesterday, we were told on, you know, basically the 15th of April that we have, we're definitely doing this in New York for one more month. We'll be doing this at least until May 15th. That essentially looks like 28 days approximately of an opportunity for you to say, all right, I've had my month of staycation or whatever it was, messing around (laughs) on Netflix. Now it's time for me to say, all right, how can I use this month to my advantage? How can I grow from this? How can I really start to take care of myself? That was a lot of what our conversation yesterday was at our, you know, um, immune system round table. It was, where do I start if I really do want to take this as an opportunity to, to grow and to, to make changes? You know, we've obviously, our, our lean on this is meditation first. Mm-hmm. But the reason for that is because of the insight that you get to develop as a result of slowing down and for maybe the first time for some people in a very long time, instead of being in that crazy narrative running dialogue that people are always in, that sort of frantic, in it, reactive voice, you can slow down long enough to hear the true voice, who you really are. That can be scary at first. The first instinct to that might be, oh God, I don't know what that's going to produce and I don't want to know. And if I, once I know I'm going to have to act on it, oh my God, I'm going to find out I hate my husband. <laughs> okay, maybe, but that doesn't mean you have to take any action on it. Just because, just because I have an awareness of myself doesn't mean I'm being asked to do anything. All I'm being asked to do is slow down and listen, learn to pay attention to myself. That's it. Because I think, while I might be well-intended plugging into the news cycle and feeling sadness for my fellow man who are going through maybe something that I think is worse than I am, mm-hmm. the, the best way that I can ever help another human being is to take care of myself. That seems very cliche, but there really is. This is something as healthcare professionals or as people who help, helping professionals, We talk about it all the time. I scream about it all the time, teach about it all the time. The only thing that I can do, the best thing I can do as a helper, but this is true for a mom. This is true for a husband or wife, you know, this or a partner. This is true for anyone. The best thing I could ever do for any other human being on this planet is to take care of myself first. Because if I'm not taking care of myself and I think that the way I'm going to get my needs met is to help other people, which is very common, especially as helpers, a lot of people get into social work and counseling because they think, well, I'm good at helping other people. And I feel like crap when I'm not doing that. So I'll just throw my life into helping someone else and systematically not look at myself the whole time, but I'll give you advice. (laughs) And that might feel good. I, that's, that might make me feel good to help somebody else, which is nice. But then I become dependent on your well-being. 
And then I think my power is to try to control and manipulate you so I can feel better. And the truth is that that is the fastest way not to be helpful to another person. One of the things that you said earlier that I thought was, it reminds me of um, one of our spiritual teachers who we met with not so long ago, who was talking about, sorry, Gabriel's um, trying to call. Hold on one sec, Molly, I'm just gonna, uh, he was talking about um, how, when you're really a helper, here we go. He was saying, when you're really a helper, you, people say, like, people might say to you, oh, wow, you're like an angel, Molly. How do you help other people? But the truth is that in order to really be an effective helper, you don't take on other people's trauma. You're not in that room with them absorbing their shit. You're in that room a placeholder, a supporter, a holding environment, you know, you're, it's almost like you're just the conduit. So you're, it's not like you're trying, you know, if you're picking up everything that your clients are throwing down, then you are going to be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. But that's not our job. Our job is to, you know, take care of ourselves so that we have the strength and the ability to be strong so that we can be the conduit of what they need, whatever that looks like at that moment. And then our responsibility is to support them in going where they want to go, not to uh, take it on and then wear it for them. And that's, so the message there is take care of yourself first. If you care about other people at all, it really means that your responsibility is to take care of yourself first, because that's how you have power that's how you show other people how to change their lives by being a model. And I remember hearing that at first and being like, that's just bullshit, you know, but the truth is that's it. I mean, that's all, that's the only power you really have. Um, and that's the way you're going to be an effective, an effective helper. That's the way you're going to be an effective uh, friend, an effective helping professional. Um, by getting like burdened with somebody else's pain, not helping, not helping. Um, all that's doing then is facilitating more pain for more people. And so I think that's a, the message, right? Like no matter who you are and what, what, you, what part you play as a professional or in your family or as a caregiver, you know, take care of yourself if you want to help other people. I mean, that's, you, there's no other way to be truly an effective helper yeah i i mean this is something we talk a lot about because we do a lot of training and you know i do a lot of supervision with uh caregivers right with young social workers young um trainees mm -hmm. and this what you're talking about you know i think mental health and other clinicians other helping professionals yeah. do are certainly predisposed to this sort of caretaker uh role that's how many of us get here mm -hmm. um <clears throat> but right it started somewhere it was it, it, that was maybe a role that we had in our families growing up yeah and there are you know so 
there's probably been a lot of practice in what you're talking about, right? I know how to care for others. That makes me feel good. And so we, what you're talking about, right? Not absorbing someone's pain, not absorbing someone's loss, not absorbing someone's trauma or grief, right? In the room as a, as a, as a healthcare worker mm -hmm. um, can take many years to refine, right? Mm -hmm. To really understand sort of the energetic dynamics that happen um, in, in a session and how to like support someone. But mm -hmm. I, <clears throat> if your role for, you know, 20 years or 30 years or 40 years in your family was to be this sort of person, um, it's going to take a long time to practice how, right, to start to own your own feelings, right, uh, which is really what we're talking about here, yeah. how not to minimize your own feelings, mm -hmm. okay? and your own needs and what mm. is my core self or authentic self right who is that person what does that person mean right? mm -hmm. and not minimizing right not invalidating our own feelings first mm -hmm. right so that's that really is that is the first stance here it is the um the the first sort of movement um mm -hmm. and that that means, and we've talked a lot about this too, like it means sort of setting new expectations um, and new sorts of boundaries mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, what I'm going to take on and what I'm not going to take on. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I'm not going to take on your grief, you know, mm -hmm. for your loss, mm -hmm. but I can express to you, mm -hmm. you know, how profoundly sorry, you know? Mm -hmm. I am and how much I love you mm -hmm. as a friend mm -hmm. and a colleague. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that allow you know, so that I mm -hmm. can continue to do the things <laughs> that I need to do mm -hmm. in order to get through this experience. Right. Yep. But we often confuse we often think if I don't take on, especially in really meshed family systems where a lot of us helping professionals come from, we think if I'm not taking on your pain, if you have a loss or if you have a breakup or if you something horrible happens to you, there is this sentiment that if I'm not walking around thinking about, oh my God, Molly's lost, Molly's lost, that I'm doing something wrong yeah. as an extension of in our family system. And the truth is that, right, I mean, you're absolutely right. I do nobody any, anything helpful by taking on somebody else's stuff. And that's one of the first things that I see in almost every client situation. And we work with a lot of families, you know, you and I both. And we see that in a lot of families, there's an expectation that I do take on your feelings. And if I don't, it means I don't care about you. It means I don't love you. And that is fundamentally false in every way. The other thing that we see with helping professionals, I certainly had this in a big way because I started my career very early on, you know, still in college when I was working with adolescents and in the community. 
I thought that that's what helping was. And so I just got crushed under the weight of not dealing with anything. And while, you know, I was helping, giving good advice, I thought at the same time, all of those little hurts that I had were just bubbling up to the point where I'm dying. I'm killing myself trying to medicate or self-medicate all of that pain away. And it's just continuously bubbling up. So the self-medicating has to get bigger and more and more massive. And then you hit a burnout wall. And for some people, it's not going to be drugs and alcohol, but maybe it's mm -hmm. food. We see that with new social workers. We see it a lot. So we see them come in, try to be the, the do-gooders, try to make the bosses happy, try to, you know, people please their clients, try to be, you know, that person to everyone like me, like me, like me, um, you know, and not understanding that you're no longer effective. If, you know, if I'm saying, if I'm suggesting one thing to you, but then I'm turning around and going home and eating everything I can see or um, doing any participating in any number of really harmful behaviors as a result of right. Trying to stuff my feelings you know, I'm not, I'm not helping. I, I'm not helping somebody else. And so, mm -hmm. and then what happens? You burn out and then people start to come to us. And I mean, well, this has happened mm -hmm. so many times when we, when we're helping our junior counselors yeah. and social workers, they'll come to me and they'll say, I think this is the wrong career for me. And I'll say, no, this isn't the wrong career for you. You just have the wrong approach for you. <laughs> Nobody can sustain what you're doing. And then like within five minutes, they make some small tweaks. I mean, literally some small tweaks a week later will come in and say, oh my God, my life is like, I've completely changed my life. Thank you. And I'm like, right. So it's just, you know, it's just like, just don't, it's not yours. And being right. someone who cares does not mean I take on other people's stuff and destroy myself in the process. It means learning how to take care of myself and then passing those, that along mm -hmm. in, in any way that we can. And it's easy and we're not perfect at this by any stretch. I mean, obviously, but it means in that struggle, right? Like that's, that's how we do get to be helpful is by falling on our face and then going, yeah. oh, hey, I learned something from that. I'm going to pass that along to somebody else who is going to need that too. So, you know, it, it really is, I think, this false assumption that we have to feel your pain to, to, to be someone who cares. And, and that's not true. We have to feel our pain to be somebody who cares and be honest with who we are and then take, like you said earlier, responsibility for what we're experiencing and then stand up and start to align our actions and our words, what we do and how we live with what we feel is true and right for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons why it's so difficult, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, you know, one confusing piece to this is that, you know, a tool that's often offered when we're feeling um, mm. feelings <laughs> of, of, you know, self sort of centered thoughts and like, oh, I'm really like obsessing over this thing, right? Or one suggestion that's often given. Uh, depending on your kind of cultural or, or family or, or, you know, 
program of, of is is to reach out to someone else when you're in your own sort of um, mm. self obsession, right? Well, mm-hmm. let me, you know, and right now there's this also like this um, a lot of volunteering and how can I be of service to someone else and how can I take care of someone else and how can, you know, I, I and so that for someone like what we're talking about um, can be, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know when am I getting out of myself sort of obsessions and fears, right? Mm. About myself and how shitty I am and, you know, or, or how much I have as a way to kind of get out of that sort of self-obsession, right? Because that's, it is, it's a, it's a great tool to avail yourself to someone yeah. else, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, right, mm-hmm. that can be really tricky or really problematic uh, for someone who only has that sort of as as their only tool. Well, okay, I'm having feelings. I better go someone help someone else. Focus on someone else. Mm-hmm. I'm having mm-hmm. feelings. I better you know right. step up and make myself useful and feel productive and like I'm doing something right. Yeah. Um, so that certainly is a wonderful tool, and we can feel those you know productive mm-hmm. feelings around that but um we certainly don't want to as we've been talking about not acknowledge that i am also in pain right, right. as a way yeah. to avoid because that's another way to avoid to throw yourself into service sometimes so i think what happens for a lot of people is that they have this idea this is something else that's been coming up a lot this week that um, I'm selfish mm-hmm. and that selfish being selfish is negative. Right. Yeah. Or bad. Yep. Yeah. Right. And it's actually a huge self care tool, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Setting up boundaries for myself where do you end and I begin? Mm-hmm. Can I step into some more ownership, right? Yeah. And, you know, that, 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 that's self-love mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's well, not, right? it's how, it's always how. It's how we, it's how we are being of service. How am I throwing myself into supporting somebody else? How am I, you know, so there's a big difference between like, you know, codependency and enmeshment and being of service. And so it's, these are your tricky stuff. Tricky. Tricky stuff. Yeah. Life we're out of time. Stuff. and we're, like... we're out of time. Allison is coming up next to do, okay. to teach us yoga. Um, but thanks so much, Molly, for yeah, donating your 10 a.m. Saturday morning time for this conversation. I know that it's helpful for people. It's certainly at the very least helpful me so i thank yeah. you um, and um it's great we'll be talking later on today so uh, have a beautiful day enjoy the rest of your day be safe and be well <laughs> <laughs>